Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. When I did start struggling with depression, you know, there was a, you, you definitely, it was, that was a woman's disease. That wasn't a man's disease. Men don't deal with depression. They're tough, you know. And then on top of it, well, that's not a Christian's disease. If you truly are a Christian and you have faith, you shouldn't be depressed about anything. And so all of those things, because of the culture that I was raised in, they just smothered me to the point to where I felt like I, could, I couldn't talk to anybody. You know, I went to several counselors, and thank God that I did. I went to some amazing people who really walked me through some difficult times. But publicly, I could never really confess that um, until recently. And, and again, I think part of learning who you are in Christ and having that that freedom to, to be who you are in Christ a lot of the, uh, what comes with that is being able to say, hey, this is something that I've dealt with. And a lot of Christians deal with it. And that's why today's guest is sharing his story with us today. We're joined today by Jody McBrayer. Most of you will remember him from the band Avalon. He's going to share with us how he went through a time in his life that was very dark. And he's going to share with us how he managed to get to the other side. He's also going to share with us how we as a church can deal with depression and anxiety in a better way. Jody McBrayer joins us today. He's best known for being a member of the award-winning groups Amalon and Canna's Voice. In addition to his group endeavors, Jody is also a solo artist, speaker, and worship leader. Your name may sound familiar to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your music. Well, uh, I guess most people would probably know my name, if they know it at all, from the group Avalon. I sang with um, the Christian group Avalon for uh, 13 years and uh, had a just an amazing run there with them and then took some time off in 2007 and um, just stepped away from music for a while, then jumped back in head first back in 2004, uh, well, 2015, um, as I, I sing with a group called Cana's Voice. Um, and then Avalon got back together as well in the middle of all that. And so I'm in two groups and then do solo stuff myself and now have written a book as if I didn't have enough to do already. (laughs) I was going to say just a couple (laughs) things on the go right now. Sure. (laughs) We actually, we just played uh, a Christmas song from Avalon uh, yesterday. So there you go. (laughs) Oh, nice. Well, that's good. Listen, that Christmas record is probably my favorite record that we ever had the chance to make. So I'm, the fact that it still lives on makes me very happy. And you have that voice that is memorable because you can reach notes that a lot of us uh, women can't even reach. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I'm getting older, so it's not quite as easy as it used to be. Um, I definitely have to work. I have to work out and, um, and uh, exercise and keep my, you know, I have to, I have to try to stay as healthy as possible. I'm, I'm very thankful that I'm at 51 years old. And I'm still able to sing most of that stuff. Most of it. <laughs> How now, did you start singing? Well, I grew up uh, in Florida, in Tampa. Uh, and I, I just started singing. You know, I would I would sing solos every once in a while. I kind of sang in the backseat of the car a lot. And my brother, my middle brother was actually a really good singer. And he used to sing in the car all the time. And my mom would say, oh, Jim, you're a really good singer. And so I just started singing too, being younger, just wanting her to tell me I was good too. And I remember one day she said to my dad and she didn't realize I was paying attention. She said, I think we have a singer on our hands. And um, when she said that, I thought, "Hmm, maybe there's something to this and just kept doing it. Honestly, nothing. um, There's nothing quite as fulfilling for me as being able to interpret a song and, and even use that song to make a difference in somebody's life, you know? 
no, your life is filled with a lot of ups and downs and you're sharing that now in your book, in your memoir. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, so when, when I was approached by this publisher to share my story, I had been sharing it on the road quite a bit for the last few years. And, um, this, this, the publisher, the, the guy that's the head of the, the book company said, you know, we really would love to get your story down on paper. Would you be interested in doing that? And I said, uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not much of a writer, even musically. I always let other people do the writing and I just, I'm more of an interpreter. Um, but he said, well, we can get you a, a ghost writer and, you know, well, you can, you can do it however, what the easiest way you can figure out. And I said, okay. And so I ended up getting a ghost writer, but I ended up pretty much writing the whole thing myself anyway. So that's why it took three years. Um, and it, and it took three years for me to get it too, because I, there were some things that I contemplated, you know, do I really want to share this with the world or I, do I want to keep this to myself? You know, I think, um, there's a fine line between what people really want to hear and what they can handle, you know? And, um, I just, I kind of, at the end of the day, got to the place where I'm like, you know, I'm going to share even the messy stuff because the messy stuff is what has, has God really used those things to make me who I am today. Not that I'm anything special, but he's, he's really used those to refine me and teach me that I'm a lot more resilient than I realized. When you're in the middle of low points in life, uh, what was that like? Like you're this well-known Christian artist, worship leader, right? Yet you're struggling. What was the inner battle like for you then? Well, you know, there's this whole, I mean, I think if you've spent any time in any kind of church or organized religion type thing, there's this whole perception of perfection thing that is just perpetrated. Like they, they expect you to be on your best the whole time. And even if you're not, don't let anybody know that you've got flaws or mistakes and don't let anybody know that you've done this or you've done that. And, um, you know, we always like to say there's, you know, church is open to everybody and we accept everybody, but there's this underlying pressure of, sure, we accept everybody, but once you're in here, you better get your act together. Don't take too long because we don't like messy. And I'm so, I'm so thankful that that's not who Jesus is. That's not who God is. You know, God is, look, I specialize in messy. That's what I do. I put messy back yeah. together and it might take some people six months. It might take people six years. Some people, it takes a lifetime to get their messy together. Um, but, but that's part of our journey. And that's the great thing about God's grace and his mercy is that he, he gives us the time and he gives us the patience and he teaches us the lessons along the way. And I've always been a kind of learn your lesson the hard way kind of guy, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so it's taken me a little bit longer to get there, but I, I have to say that, at 51 years old, I understand a lot better what the love of God is and what he truly does to help us get through. Yeah, our, um, a lot of church marketing will say, come as you are, right? But I don't know if that's all, if we really mean that actually a lot right. of the time. Right, yeah. I think, the, and the, I think the heart behind it is, is sincere. I think that people really do want people to come as they are. I just think that we've gotten mm -hmm. into the mindset of, you know, come as you are, but but don't stay that way. You know, we, you've got to fix yourself. And, 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 it, and it's like, it's not up to us to fix anybody. I can't fix you. You can't fix me. It's really up to the Holy spirit. It's up to, it's up to Jesus. And, um, you know, we just need to love, you know, I, I think, uh, Billy Graham said it best when he said, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy spirit's job to convict. It's just my job to love. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, that's what I really try to do with my life. I fail sometimes miserably, but, my goal is to always love first 
and not have expectations of people to be what I think they should be. Now, you've dealt with uh, a lot of depression in your life and a lot of dark moments. Now, without giving away, obviously, your entire story, tell us a little bit about that journey and how you managed to come out on the other side. Well, you know, depression is something that you don't hear a lot of men talk about depression. I don't know why. I think um, they're afraid it's going to like challenge their manlyhood or whatever. And, and I, when I was going through it, I hit it for sure. I would stifle it down. I was already struggling with, you know, identifying as a man because I had such a high voice and was always made fun of for being effeminate and all those things when I was in high school. And, um, you know, all of those things kind of were insecurities that were just kind of, you know, built into me. And so when I did start struggling with depression, you know, there was a, you, you definitely, it was, that was a woman's disease. That wasn't a man's disease. Men don't deal with mm. depression. They're tough, you know? And then on top of it, well, that's not a Christian's disease. If you truly are a Christian and you have faith, you shouldn't be depressed about anything. And so all of those things, because of the culture that I was raised in, they just smothered me to the point to where I felt I could, I couldn't talk to anybody. Um, and I did, you know, if you read the book, <laughs> you can see that I, you know, I went, to several counselors and thank God that I did. I went to some amazing people who really walked me through some difficult times, but publicly I could never really confess that um, until recently. And, and again, I think part of learning who you are in Christ and having that, that freedom to, to be who you are in Christ. A lot of the, a, what comes with that is being able to say, Hey, this is something that I've dealt with. And a lot of Christians deal with it. And I watched friends, friends of mine that are, in leadership positions in churches take their own life because they were, Mm. they weren't allowed to be depressed. They weren't allowed to struggle, you know, and that, that perpetrating that kind of attitude and that kind of um, environment in a church is not just destroying the people who attend, but it's destroying the people who serve as well. The lay people, the pastors, the deacons, the elders, the, the teachers, the speakers, all of those people are just people. And for me, depression got to the point where it was so crippling that I almost took my life. Um, and, uh, but for the grace of God, I am standing here or sitting here today, still breathing, still able to tell my story. But so many of my friends and people that I care about deeply are not able to do that. And, um, you know, if, if they had had the help that they needed, if they had had the, the support system that is necessary, I have to believe that there would have been a very different outcome for them. Why did you decide to speak up and to talk about this? Because of them, honestly. Um, the first, my first friend who was um, not just kind of more of an acquaintance than a friend, but somebody that I had spoken to and looked up to spiritually um, two years ago, uh, took his own life. And honestly, they, they tried to dig for answers after he took his own life to try to find out if there was something else going on. You know, there has to be something else going on. It can't just be clinical depression because, you know, that quote unquote doesn't exist, but it was, it was just the chemical imbalance in his body that he wasn't being treated for and the accountability that he did not have, you know, um, and the support system that he did not have that forced him to take his own life. And then that was heartbreaking for me. And then cut to 2019, and I'm on the stage, getting ready to take the stage at my alma mater at Liberty University for their homecoming concert. And I get a phone call from a buddy of mine who, and I'm sorry if I get choked up because this is difficult, but um, a friend of mine who said, hey, did you see the news that Jared Wilson took his life? And I said, are you kidding? And I had just spoken to Jared a week prior about putting together a coalition 
um, and, a, and a nonprofit for people specifically working in church who struggle with severe anxiety and depression. And he succumbed to it. He, he couldn't, he couldn't deal with the pressure of leadership. And, and the hard part is, is he did go to someone to speak to them and that person betrayed his trust and shared it with other people. And that came back to him. And I just think it was more than he could handle. So walking through that, I I said, I've got to say something. I've got to speak up. Even if my small one voice makes a difference in a few people's lives, I've got to do something. We forget, like you said, that pastors or normal people that you, even though you were, you know, this superstar, you're, you're just a regular person and you're just trying to live life. We forget about that. Yeah, I think we forget about it with everybody. We forget about it with our leaders, the people that we elected to office. I mean, not to get political, but they're all human beings, all really trying to make the decisions the best they can. Sure, there's there's foul play at hand and people make poor decisions and they make bad choices. I I get that. I've made my share of those. But yes, we are all human beings who are struggling every day to make our way through life. And if we're Christians, we struggle every day and we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we, you know, I I wake up every morning now. um, And part of this process was the process that I went through with my counselor, who I finally ended up going to, who said, Jody, what do you need me to do for you? And I said, well, I don't need to hear Jeremiah 29, 11 again, you know, (laughs) and and I, and I say that in concert sometimes, and and I can see some of the older people's faces. They're just so offended by that. I'm like, it's not that I don't believe in the, in in the scriptures. And I believe that there's power in those words, but you know, I grew up hearing it my whole life and I've, you know, all the big scriptures, I know them all, you know, I just needed God to show up in a real way. And I needed to know that regardless of what it felt like around me, the sea that was swallowing me up, I needed to know that he was with me and that I was going to be okay. And, and to the, then that I wasn't alone. And so a big part of why I wrote my book, if I could come back around to that, is just to let people know, hey, you're not the only one. You're not alone. And I think there's healing in that. I think there's healing in reading somebody's story and saying, oh my gosh, are you kidding? This is exactly what I've walked through or I've felt this way or okay, so if he can make it through, maybe I can make it through. And oh my gosh, if you don't think for one second that that doesn't bring me joy to know that my, excuse the word, but my crap has helped somebody realize that they can make it through their crap, you know? I love the title of the book, So Far So Good, but it was touch and go there for a while. I yeah. really like that. It's <laughs> very <you. laughs> honest and in your face. Yeah. Well, the book is honest and in your face. I mean, I, you know, I, my wife and I sat on the couch probably 20 times before I would start writing the next chapter or something. And I'd be like, okay, here's this chapter's coming up. Do we want to talk about this? You know, and there were definitely some things personally that we, we felt as a couple that we just needed to leave out, you know, Hmm. things that were just too private for anybody else. And that's fine. I mean, I think everybody's got those things and I don't think that your business is everybody's business. You know, I think that it's okay to have things that are just between you and your spouse or whoever, you know, but, but uh, we did decide, that we wanted to share the touch and go moments. We wanted to share a lot of what we walked through as a couple, a lot of what I walked through personally, because like I said, those are the things that I think are touching points for a lot of people. Yeah. You, um, like you said, you left some things out, but you were still honest about your relationship in there too. And did talk about some of the, the lower moments in your relationship as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, my dad is a, as it was an ordained pastor, he was a postmaster. He worked for the U S postal service, but he, he became 
called to the ministry probably when I was like eight or nine years old. And he used to do weddings. And I remember sitting in the weddings and he would, you know, every pastor has an opportunity to speak. They're going to take it. So my dad would always speak a little bit before he'd do the vows. And one thing he used to say was, at some point, one or both of you are going to want out of this. And I used to think, that's that's horrible. Why would you say that at a wedding, you know? And then I got married, you know, (laughs) And, and you start to realize this is wonderful but there are moments where you're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Uh, and it's yeah. not that I don't love you, but this is hard. Marriage is hard. And what's even harder sometimes is staying, you know, but we stayed. We fought through a lot of the difficult stuff. And who's to say there's not going to be more? I mean, we've been married 24 years. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've, I've got, I know people who've been married 50 and they're like, listen, it, it really doesn't get a whole lot easier. But you just learn that if this is your person, if this is who your best friend is, then you fight through it together. I'm and a, that's what we've done. I'm an ordained pastor as well. And when I do weddings, one of the things I do is I remind the the congregation or the people there, like they're a part of these vows as well. And yeah. We're not this, just there to have a party, right? Like we're there as part of these vows. And so we play a role in that marriage and that relationship. And I think that's uh, good for Absolutely. us to remember as yeah. a community of faith, whether it's marriages or people with mental health struggles, like we're a part of their journey. Yep. Absolutely. And and I think that, um, you know, sometimes when we, like for Stephanie and I, when we first got married, you know, the first year was difficult because Avalon was just nuts. Like it was, you know, 1999 testified a love had just broke and I was never home. I mean, I think that year we did 240 dates that year. It was crazy. (laughs) And so, you know, my wife knew I was a musician. She, but, you know, I remember at one point we sat in the parking lot of a, of a grocery store waiting for the bus to come and she was weeping. And she said, I think I made a mistake. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, I just not, I I, I thought you, I, I thought you'd be gone, but I didn't think you'd be away forever you know and we worked through that you know she ended up getting a job with a record company that kept her busy so for a season it was like we were two ships passing in the night and that was kind of the wrong direction to go but when I left in 2007 and came home I had some health issues and stuff but we also had some marriage issues that we had to work through and it was the best decision I ever made to walk away she walked away from her job at Sony and I walked away from Avalon and we put the pieces of our marriage and our relationship back together and I have to tell you um for all intents and purposes, it's not perfect, but we are stronger today because of that. Nice. Speaking of yeah. relationships, what was your relationship with like with uh, God in the midst of all of this? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, God and I have always kind of had, I've, I've always had not a hate relationship with him. I'd say love hate, but, but there's definitely been times where I've been a baby sitting in the corner with my arms folded, you know, like, mm. and I write in the book about how being at the lowest point in my in my life, which I considered to be rock bottom, where I was at the point of taking my own life. And I remember looking up at the sky and and crying out to God and saying, are you even there? You know, you you say that you never put more on me than I can bear, but it's like you're not paying attention. You know, I, I'm overwhelmed with stuff to the point to where here I am ready to take my own life. And you're silent. You're silent. I, I, and I. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time crying out to God, verbally, audibly crying out to God, um, sometimes in my car. And I'm sure people think I'm absolutely nuts. But, you know, um, the interesting thing is God never answers the way you think he's going to, but he always answers. Yeah. And I've seen him do things. And I, and I don't know how you guys feel about this kind of stuff. And I say this sometime in concert. Um, 
because I know some people don't believe in the supernatural and I'm like, that's fine. Some things are true, whether you believe them or not, you know, I've seen God do things that can only be explained as supernatural. And when I was at my lowest point, he kept me alive. And within a month's time, I had seen him work in ways that I had never seen before. Um, and, and I, and it wasn't what the way I thought he should speak. It wasn't what I had asked him to do, but what he did was far and above what I could possibly imagine. It was enough to make me say for the rest of my life, I'm going to tell my story and I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that you're real. And, when I breathe my last breath, I'll know that I've done everything I possibly can to bring hope to people who don't have it. And so that's why I, that's why I wrote the book. That's why I finished the book. That's why I'm here talking to you today. Um, and, you know, God and I still duke it out sometimes about, so I've got a 16 year old daughter. We duke it out about her all the time, <laughs> but um, you know, he's, he knows what's best. And at the end of the day, my trust is fully in him and I know he's going to do what he's supposed to do. Um, we talked a little bit about, um, the church maybe not always being open to hearing what's going on in our lives. What's the response been like since uh, you've started talking about your own life? What have you heard from people and the reaction you've gotten? Well, it is, it's, it's a little fresh, you know, the book has just now come out and um, the, the, the initial response has been really good. Uh, I will tell you that I've had some pushback in the past from some different churches um, regarding talking about depression and anxiety and specifically me struggling with thoughts of suicide and all of those things, because that's not the, that's not the atmosphere they want to portray in their church. So I've been asked when I've come, Hey, would you just not share this story? And, you know, I want to, I want to be a good steward of, of whatever opportunity I'm given. So I take those opportunities to encourage people in other ways. Um, I don't ever, I'm never, I don't ever rebel against the machine and get up there and Norma Ray and share it anyway. <laughs> you know, I, I try, I want to, I want to just respect everybody's desires for whatever they have in place. But in the same respect, I think we've got to grow past that, you know, as a church, we've got to grow past it. We've got to, the church is either going to be a hospital or it's going to be a museum. That's what I've heard my mm -hmm. friend, Roger Breland, who wrote the forward in my book, he used to say that all the time. And, you know, I think God really intends it to be a hospital because we, we, we need to go there. We need to get whatever it is we need, whatever healing we need, because if we're going to tell the world about Christ, and if, if you look around, the world's desperate for Christ now more than ever, if we're going to do that, we've got to, we've got to fill our tanks someplace. And so I, I'm looking at it as a hospital and every opportunity I get, I share it. And, and I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, people have been extremely perceptive or receptive of it. So far, so good, but it, was touch and go there for a while it's out now where can people get it um well okay so you guys are in canada right yes yes <laughs> okay well i'm assuming you have amazon in canada so you can order it from amazon and do you have barnes and noble in canada we do not do we okay we might. i don't know i think we do <laughs> we might like okay. do <laughs> they might still ship there you can ship it you can order it at, at, at amazon.com so that's probably the place where everybody ends up getting it or you can order it at barnesandnoble.com if you guys have barnes and noble but i just say go with amazon <laughs> and if people want to find out what you're up to and just want to learn more about you how can they go about doing that um i have a website so it's jody mcbrayer online if they want to go there right now it's just the basic information about the book so if you want to kind of preview some information about the book that's a perfect place to go i'm on social media too if they want to go to jody mcbrayer official um or is it official jody mcbrayer 
I don't know. I, we will I, find just look you. Up, look up Cody Big Bear. I don't ever look at it here. I can tell you real quick. Um, <laughs> I definitely need to come back up to our to our beautiful north and see you guys in Canada again. I would love to be up there sometime soon. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for making time for us. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. It's an honor. And thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you want to listen to this full conversation or any of the other conversations that we've had on Connections, you can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there. We'll talk to you again on Connections.